Well, good morning. Um, my name is David Carreño, and I'm very competitive. <laughs> Highly competitive. Most of, a lot of people here in this room can attest to that in our Tuesdays gatherings. And um, when I gave my, my testimony a couple of weeks ago, I, I said that the reason I think is I'm so competitive is because I have a Napoleon complex. I'm a short man and therefore I need to show people, you know, even though I'm short, I can do this better than you. Um, and then today you have a sanctified version of me competitive. So before Jesus, it was really bad. And um, everything that, you know, I started thinking and analyzing right now as I, as the Lord is working in me in that area, I started thinking like, why was so competitive? Like, what was my need? And I think I just wanted to, anything that I did, I just wanted to be first. That, that was it. Like, it doesn't matter what it was. I wanted to be first. But I'm like, what, what was the point of being first? I think it's, I wanted to like be recognized. I wanted like some sort of, I don't know, people will say, wow, he's amazing or he's great. And that word in Spanish is primero. And um, I'm, I'm gonna tie this word in, in, in Spanish is primero and in English is primacy. We don't use that word a lot. Uh, and in the biblical Greek is protos, so that's where we get protos, primero, primacy. And what I want to do today is a little bit of a, a little bit of a linguistic uh, experiment where I want to grab this word and I want to expand the, the the concept of it, the definition of it. Because you see, primacy is um, something that's being preeminent or more important. So it's not just about position; it's about also authority. And, you know, other words so we can be thinking of how big this concept is. We have supremacy, ascendancy, sovereignty, dominance, leadership, paramountcy. So you see this word is not just about first. And what I want to do with that is attach that word, that big concept, to Christ. And to, to do that, um, we're going to, in these verses, we're going to see the primacy of Christ. And a little bit of context about the book that we're in, which uh, we've been in this book of Colossians for the past couple of weeks. We'll probably camp here for a little while. Pastor Dave is going to preach also from different verses. But in here, I wanted to give a little context on Colossians. Because you see, Paul wasn't just writing a theo theology book. He wasn't like sitting down and say, okay, we're going to explain the doctrine of Christ, who Christ is. So then number one, he was, this is this, no. He was replying, this is a letter, let's call an epistle. He was replying through letter, written letter to this church in Colossae. And he was addressing specific things. So when we're reading this letter, he is putting everything there for a reason. When he's right before in the verses that we're going to be, he was praying for the spiritual knowledge and wisdom. There's a reason for that. And then right here, we're gonna see in these verses, what is that he's saying about Christ and why. In, in, in Colossians 2, we see that there's what's called a heresy. There is a, a false teaching that has infiltrated the church. And basically, it was these people from different worldviews. It's like a mixed match of worldviews, saying things about who Christ was or wasn't, 
to try to confuse people. And what was this heresy, this false teaching about who Christ was? It's the beginning stages of, in the first and second century, it was called docetism and Gnosticism. These were the big heresies that the church had to battle against the, the, the claims about Christ that were not true. But here in Colossae, in, in, in very early Christianity, this, uh, this heresy was different elements. It had Jewish legalism, it had some Greek asceticism, and some Oriental mysticism. All of these isms basically are beliefs about certain things. For example, they will, they will, they will tell the people at Colossae, hey, you can't eat this, or you should you know, look at this specific day as a, as a worship day. Or they will say, you know, you, you should worship angels, or you should worship this or that. When in the, in the Word of God, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the only worship that is, is reserved only for God. And then they were, they were calling the people to have ascetic practices, which means very rigorous treatment of the body for the sake of religion. And all of these heresies were infiltrated in the church and they were damaging the view that believers had after they believed in Jesus as the Christ. And, and that's what Paul is writing here. And what we're going to see in these verses is what Paul uses to do that. He uses a hymn. He uses a hymn that was sung by these early Christians even before Paul. And it's a beautiful hymn as, as Michaela was reading scripture. Even I've read it several times to prepare for it. But it's just so wonderful and there's so much in it that we're going to see today together. How is it that he's combating this? But I want us to see not this history lesson about what happened in Colossae, in this church. This is in our midst too. Sometimes we don't even know we have it. Two versions of it for us, heresies that don't talk about who Christ really is. I'm going to be extreme. Legalism or antinomianism it's called. Legalism means, you know, you, know, you, know, you don't, don't, don't drink, don't chew and don't hang out with those who do. And here actually in Colossae, they said, don't handle, don't touch, don't, don't, don't talk, don't do anything. It's about restrictions, you see? Making barriers or, or um, things that will not allow you to sin or, or to be holy. So you see, that, that is a false teaching. Why? Because if that was the case, then all Christians should be called to be monks and go into a monastery, get on a, on a, on a very small room with nothing on it, and be in silence the whole time, pray and, 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 and just read the Bible, that's it. That will be the call of Christ for the church. And that is not, when you read the Bible it says, be in the world but not of the world. So we must be careful in ways that even myself, as I, I was writing this, I was preaching to myself, be careful on not making things that are not of what the Bible says. Now, what will be the, the logical explanation after that? Then we go the, the opposite side. I'm, I'm an extremist. So I go for, well, not legalistic, so I'm the Christian 007. I have a license to sin. That's, that's not what it is. That's the other heresy. To believe that because if we believe in Jesus, then we're free to do whatever because Christ paid it, paid it all, right? That's not true. So what I want to do is through what Paul is teaching to the Colossians church, it's for us too, here, right now, even in our own hearts, and to see the beauty of who Christ is. Now, um, the way to do this, um, I, I was reading 
F.F. F. Bruce, he's a theologian, in his um, uh, commentary on Colossians, he said, an intelligent appreciation of the doctrine of Christ is the best safeguard against any forms of heretical teaching, and certainly against that which was currently threatening the peace of the Colossians Christians. In other words, he's saying the best antidote for heresy is a sound Christology, the sound teaching of who Christ is. So I want you to perk your ears, and with me, we're going to go through these verses and look at the primacy of Christ and how that informs and gives the right concept on who Christ is. But I will, I will warn you, this is too big for me to try to handle at all. So there is so many things we're going to see here There's, that we can spend a year just preaching on a specific topic. But again, I want you to stay focused on that word primacy. In first, but it's not just position, it's about authority. To do this, I'm going to break it up, the verses, into three sections. The first one is the primacy of Christ in creation. The second one is the primacy of Christ in cosmic reconciliation. And the third one is the primacy of Christ in personal reconciliation. The first one, primacy of Christ in creation, found in verses 15 through 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. Right at the beginning we see beautiful and wonderful things that are too big to, to go through, but I want to focus on the first verse. He is the image of the invisible God. That concept right there will be a concept for us to try to fully understand how God was able to dwell fully and show who God is in one person, in Christ, is a sermon in itself. But that second part where it says the firstborn over all creation. And that word, here we have it, first, is a mixture of two words in the Biblical Greek. We have first, which is protos, and we have um, the second one, stechnon, which means child. So it's first child, which is the, the concept is firstborn, because you see in, in, in that culture, in Jewish culture, the firstborn had what meant way more than just being the first one in time. It came with inheritance that was bigger for them. It came with a lineage that came through him. When we look at genealogies, we see this, the son of this, the son of this, is always the firstborn. So this word right here doesn't mean just first. And you see, he's a, they're, they're, this hymn is attaching that concept of firstborn, of primacy, to Christ. Where? It says in all creation. So does that mean, if we think about it and we read it at face value, that Christ was the first one to be created? That is false. What is this saying? He's saying that he was preeminent, he was supreme over that, over creation. Which means that he was before creation. Before anything was, he already was there. So Christ was there before creation, that's, what he, that's how he starts. But what is the importance of being, being before creation? He's going to explain this, we'll, we're going to see. And it's not just that he was there present. 
There is more than that. It says, for everything, I'll repeat that word, for everything was created by him. Wow, what is the claim? He was before creation, but everything was created by him. What do you mean by everything? It couldn't be everything. What do you mean by that? He'll explain us. He says, in heaven and on earth. That's a definition of material and material, spiritual and material. Even more so, visible and invisible. Again, it's like making sure that we understand what he means by creating everything. Whether thrones or dominions, that spiritual realm, angels, everything. Or rulers or authorities, kingdoms and things on earth. And he finishes with this. He says, all things have been created through him and for him. What is the claim here about who Christ is? What is the primacy, the supremacy of Christ in here? We see it in the, in the words that are used before it says by him. It says everything was created by him, through him, and for him. By him, he's the author. He is God, the second person in the Holy Trinity. Uh, Pastor Dave talked about the Holy Trinity in a sermon a couple of weeks ago. And he explained that the Holy Trinity is three persons for one nature. It's a great mystery. It's hard to understand. But Christ is the second person in that Trinity. And he's saying he was there at creation, before creation. But not only that, he's the author. So he's the creator. But not only that, he says through him, he's the agent of creation. And then at the end, he says for him. So the goal for creation. So here we see our, our expanding word of who the primacy of Christ is. He's author, agent, and goal of all creation. And as we continue in verse 17, it says, He's before all things. In the same, same idea. That's why we're here in this section, in creation. We see the primacy of Christ in creation. And he says it again, he's before all things. And then he says something that is just wonderful. He says, and by him all things hold together. You see, he wasn't just only before creation present. But in the process of creating this world, everything that we know, including us, he was the author, he was the agent, he is the goal, but he holds all things together. Easily as the being that he is, he could have created and put things in motion and let them unravel by themselves. But what he's saying is that anything and everything, material and immaterial, he's holding together. And, and, and a concept that, that as I read this and as I read, you know, I was reading the commentaries and, and studying about it, I, I went into a more scientific mind. I was thinking more of a material world. When, when God, Christ, created the material world, he created three things. What are the, 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 the three elements of the universe? It's space, it's matter, and it's energy. He created the space for the matter to be in. He created the matter and created the energy for things to function. And I started thinking, like, how is it that Christ, is, his primacy is in holding things together after he created things? And so I just, I started going into the microscopic, into particles. Sometimes my brain likes those scientific things. And I thought of a drop of water, and I'm like, okay, what is in a drop of water? Molecules, right? We have molecules, and then you, you take those, those molecules, and those molecules are a group of atoms. And you take that atom, we probably all know what an atom is. We've seen it, it has a center, 
called nucleus, and it has electrons uh, flying around it. But then you, you grab that nucleus and you extract it, and you see it's formed by protons and neutrons. And then these are smaller particles, they're very, very small. And then you grab those protons, and inside of them, there's an even smaller particle, as of now that we've been able to see, and they're called quarks. And these quarks are bound together by even smaller particles. And those particles are called gluons. And I was like, how cool is that? Like, the things that are holding these things together to the microscopic level, to, to, to very subatomic, like, we, don't, we can't even see them. Because the wavelength that they have cannot, is not the same wavelength as light. So we, it will always be invisible. So then I was thinking, oh, the visible and the invisible in matter. And holding things together, he's the glue that holds things together. So the primacy of Christ, you see how this teaching of who Christ is involves everything. He's not just talking about who Christ is, just for like, oh, you know, this is a, an interesting being. He's saying everything around you, all that it is. Even right now, as I stand on this floor, as I move my body, as I, everything in here is being held together by him. Sovereignty comes to mind. So that's the concept that I want to be creating as we keep looking. And a little, a little idea here to bring it from the, from the scientific into the, into the heart, into what it, it, what it means to us. It's to mean to trust in Christ in the first, in everything, as the one that created you and is sustaining you in all areas of your life. So you see, if he's holding all things together, there's truly nothing that he can, don't have reached for it, or is not in control. In our second section, the primacy of Christ in cosmic reconciliation, in verses 18 through 20. He's also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So right in here we see how it, it moves. It's, it's, it's moving from creation and it moved to another place. And what is that place? It's redemption, or as I put it here, reconciliation. And before I explain how Christ or who the primacy of Christ in, in reconciliation, we need to understand why is it that there needs to be some reconciliation? You see, in creation, Christ created everything. But before redemption, before reconciliation of everything, there was something that gave birth to sin. Sin was born, and sin gave birth to death. And not just physical death, but spiritual death. And, and, and what it means, spiritual death just means separation. There's a gap in between us and God that we couldn't reach. In the Old Testament, we see God calling His people and giving specific ways in, into how can they come into His presence. Because you should see, God is holy, so in His presence, sin cannot abide. It will truly, in, in the Old Testament, the wrong person that will go into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was, they will immediately die because they couldn't stand it. So that gap created the need for reconciliation. But his creation, 
us and every, everything in the world had, didn't have the means to do that. That's why we get into these places, right? Let me, what can I do to get there? Like, how, how, how clean can I get so God will accept me? You know, and that's why reconciliation was needed through Christ. So he came, right? He says, you can't come to me, child. You really can't. But I'll bring you to me. And there's a way and there's a reason why he had to die on the cross. So with that concept of reconciliation, what these verses are saying, we have the word there again, the firstborn from the dead in verse 18. We saw the same word, protos and technon, firstborn, in verse 15 where it says over all creation. But now he's saying the firstborn from the dead. So it's almost like a recreation. Christ was involved in that too. Actually, he was the everything. We, we were able to see him on the cross literally dying and literally resurrected. For 40 days ascended and he's at the right hand of the Father. So here we see the primacy of Christ the first in redemption, in being the one who through that death reconciled things. Here we see it in verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. In Christ, the fullness of God resides. So he's 100% man, he's 100% God. In a theological term, that's called the hypostatic union. But fully man, fully God. And through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, shed on the cross you see it's it's so clear there the reconciliation and and that's why i named i titled this second section cosmic reconciliation because it's not just us it includes us but it's everything it's all of creation everything that is matter the universe the earth trees animals planets Everything is being reconciled, was reconciled on the cross through Christ's sacrifice. And when you think of all these things that you see, that you understand, Christ is not only in control holding all those things together, He not only created them and created you, but He's bringing them all back to the original, what He meant in His holiness. And today we have a version of that, but one day it will fully come. That's the promise. He will, when, when, when He comes back and He establishes His kingdom, Christ, He will also make a new heaven and a new earth. So when you think of Christ reconciling, this is where this, this hymn takes us in the understanding of who He is. He's reconciling everything. So we cannot put Him in a box, you see. This is not about just coming on Sunday to church. This is not about like we have a group of Christians or we believe this sort of thing. So then you group and it's accepted. No, we're saying all of it, your entire life, the entire universe, everything that's created is reconciled through Christ's sacrifice. So when you think of everything that you can see, touch, hear or taste, be aware of the primacy of Christ and how those things were, are reconciled back to Him.
in Colossians 3.17 and says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And now that we saw the primacy of Christ in cosmic reconciliation, we're going to see verses 21 through 23, how Paul gives a commentary on that hymn. He says, this hymn is great, but then now he's going to make it applicable to the church. Because he, he's making all these lofty like claims on who Christ is. But that, even for us, could seem like so, like, how can we think of these things? Like, you see on ground level? And that's what Paul does. He finished with a commentary on that hymn. And that's the, the third and final section. Is the primacy of Christ in personal reconciliation. Verses 21 through 23. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body, through his death, to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith, and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard, this gospel has been proclaiming all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. So you see, now he gets the big picture. Christ, the primacy of Christ, and much more. Before creation, he's the author, agent, and goal, holds all things together, physical and, 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 and spiritual, material, and... And he on the cross, because of what I explained, how that gap that sin created. You see, the, the problem with that gap, sin, that puts the distance between us and God in the need of reconciliation. The problem is that we were born with it. It's not something you did. It's not something that was done to you. It's not a specific disease or a specific culture that you're born is. Anyone that's born comes with this. It's, it's, it's referred as original sin. So we're born into this world already separated from Him. And, and through that reconciliation, now we, we can attach the concept of the primacy of Christ and who He is as Creator, who He is as Reconciliator in the redemption. And how does that apply to us? Because here is folks, like, why are we here if this doesn't apply to us? Is, is this just a conference to know things about theology? Or is this just a book about very old things that sound fancy and it's kind of cool to be around them? This is real. This is, this is not a fairy tale. This is not a cult. We're, we're preaching and teaching the God who created and, and, and in, in, those, in these verses, that's what Paul does. He preaches what is known as the gospel. The good news of who Christ is. And, and here we see that he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you faultless, holy, and blameless before him. And there you have it. That's the gospel as you thought about it. Have you ever heard it? I don't know. I hope you have. I'm pretty sure most of us have. And that's the claim. That that's the Christ. That's the one who was on the cross. So it's not just this cool dude 
that wore this robe and flip-flops, and everyone talks about him 2,000 years later. Talking about the Creator. That's the claim. That's Christianity. That's what the Word of God teaches. And I don't know if you've noticed, but I haven't, maybe once, mentioned the word or the name Jesus. I did that for a reason. I talk about the primacy of Christ before creation, in creation, holding things together, on the cross. Maybe some of you made that connection there, but did not use the name Jesus for a specific reason. Because this is what happens when we think of, when we say Jesus Christ, we think that's his last name. And it's not his, his title. Actually, I'm trying, and I, and, I, and, I, and I call you to, after hearing this, to start saying Jesus the Christ. And all these concepts that we're seeing here of the primacy of Christ apply to these men. Jesus of Nazareth. That was in, in, in Israel and, and was crucified on the Pontius Pilate. So the historical Jesus has... Some critics call him. So you see that they can't deny the fact that Jesus was actually a man that walked the earth. That's just a given. The claim against Christianity or to say that is to say that he was just a man. You know, come on. You know, he's just a man. He was, he died. And you know, his resurrection, it was just, it was a plot. They got another guy there. That's what they try to go against of claiming that he was actually God on the cross. And that is what the, what the gospel is. Of Christ, Jesus the Christ, became fully man, lived a perfect life. And, and, and all of the things that were reserved for us because of sin, and the only way to reconcile back to him, to be free of that sin, that gap, it was through a sacrifice. It required death. And he said, I will do that for you. And he did it. So he went on that cross fully knowing what, what that meant. And on the third day resurrected, defeating that death and that gap, reconciling us personal. And it's and it's just so wonderful to see this here. Because when you read in Acts, the apostles, those who were with Jesus, this is how they preach. This is how they taught about Christ. They were mostly Jewish people when they were talking, but also to Gentiles. They will say, you know, from the beginning, God created everything. And then he chose Abraham and through Abraham, Isaac, Isaac, Jacob. Then they come the, the, the people of Israel. He brought them out of Egypt. He stole them in, in Canaan and gave them the, the, all the land and all these beautiful things that talks about. But then you see every step that we see in the Old Testament of People coming to God or looking for Him, it was just failure. Coming and failing, coming and failing, that's what we see. But in the midst of all of that, there was the, these guys with a megaphone, the prophets, saying, one day one will come where finally we'll be able to do what we were called to be as children of God. And they kept saying that, and we see it all over, these prophets prophesying about the one who is of the line of David, the Christ, that's the, that's the name, the anointed one, the Messiah. And, and, and that's, as they pre preach that, these apostles, they will say this, and they will say, this Jesus of Nazareth that you killed, this is the Christ. You can hear the gospel. 
What are you saying? Is he, is he was the one? Yes, that's the claim. And what was the response? Most of them, there will be, so what does this mean to us? And what should we do? And now we were thinking of them, the Colossites over there, the primacy of Christ, but that's here for us today. That is the claim. I preach to you the gospel according to the word of God of who, who Jesus is. And he is the Christ who died, who resurrected to reconcile you to him. And that answer or that question of what should we do, I think is the proper response after hearing who Christ is. And that's what I'm, what I'm going to give you is I'm going to suggest to you that you answer in this way, that you repent and believe. That's the proper response. That's what they did back in Acts when they were presented with this. There was an either or. Repent of your sins and believe that this Jesus is the Christ. And I, and I know that there's going to be two kinds or two audiences here. One that have heard this and that have taken that for themselves and said, I repent of my sins and I accept and I receive in faith of what Jesus did, of being reconciled to him, of what he did. And you did that once and you're walking in it. And you might hear this and be like, yeah, yeah, this is, you know, we know what this is. But I want you to just stay, just, just stop and really think what this means for you as a follower of Christ, as the one who you want believed and you have been reconciled. Because we're not fully there in his presence with the establishing of his kingdom. So we still need to respond this way in repentance and in belief, in faith. So I put it to you in your heart of whatever it is, what, would, what is that sin? as a believer that is holding you back, that is blocking everything that you might think of who Christ is. Repent. That, you know, we were singing those beautiful songs and it says, come as you are. That's, that's, that's what it really means, the gospel. It doesn't mean wait until you are able to stop this. Just repent of it and believe that Jesus died for it. And, and this is a continuous thing, people. That's why sanctification is a thing for us. To become more like Jesus as our goal, it means continuous, daily for me, to repent and to believe. Because anything in life without putting Christ first will be empty and without substance. I warn you, as Paul did the Colossians, to put Jesus first on everything. Do not believe the lie that you can't earn anything by just doing the right things or to recite a magical incantation to receive the blessings of God. Christ is the author, sustainer, and goal of our life. Give him the primacy he deserves and possess. All for his glory. And that was the first audience. The second audience is someone in here that has never heard this before. Where they, you know, they've been to church, They've come, they sung the hymns or sung the songs, and then taking the, they've done everything. Maybe because parents did it, maybe because a friend did it, and invited, whatever it is. 
But there's that, that was for me, right? Like that was the question. What, what is that we're saying here? And is this really true or all these people are just crazy people? But with the presentation I gave you today of who Christ is, it's truth, it's real. So I, I, I invite you to answer with repentance and faith. And I want you to just take just a couple of seconds. If, if I know we all bring things into here that are heavy. And I know that they press on us, they weigh on us. Feels like, for some might feel that this is, they're at the end of the road. And this is no coincidence. I stand here preaching this because God is speaking again. I prayed at the beginning, so what you will hear is his voice, not mine. So this is him calling you to repent and believe. So if, if you are one of those, and I invite you, God invites you to receive Jesus, to repent of your sin and to have faith in him, even now, to, to do that in an act so that it will not be about us, it will not be about me, it will be about between you and Christ. It's a, it's a, it's a step that will claim to yourself that you're accepting this. And if you want to repent and, and believe in Jesus, I, I'm gonna invite you to stand up in your seat where you're at. So if you repent of your sins, and believe in Jesus as the Christ. Again, I invite you to stand up where you are. There's no shame. This is between you and him. He is the one who died on the cross and brought you back to him, who's reconciling you back to him. And I understand that there might not be all the answers and you might think that there's things that you still need to do to come to him. That's a lie. He's inviting you. All are invited. He's calling all to him. If you felt it in your heart and you didn't feel because of shame, because of anything, you don't want to stand up, I understand that. I will be standing here after communion next to the table Please come talk to me if this you felt God calling you in your heart for this. This is very important and for us, church, as we prepare to transition into communion, I want to keep this image of this beautiful calling, this beautiful invitation that God has put unto us. And this is not just an invitation for, like I said, just for those who haven't placed their trust in Jesus. If there's anything in, in, in this sermon that you want to come talk to me, pray with me, I'll be standing next to the communion table. With that in mind, please pray with me. Dear God, creator, sustainer, you are holy, all-powerful, all-knowing. It is to you that we 
offer our worship. We're glad that we get to do so, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, the Christ, for your sacrifice on the cross, the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for every person here, Lord, that have listened to the good news of what you have done. And I pray for each and every one of them, Lord, that Holy Spirit, you will bring them back according to your will, reconcile back to you. Jesus, you are the first. You are the supreme. You are our primacy. Be glorified, Lord. Your holy name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.